2: Hi, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I am coming to you today live from Maine from the Kennebec Valley. Um, I guess we are here in very cold, very cold weather talking to Neil Bertrando, who is in Nevada. What's the weather over there, Neil?
3: Um, it oscillates every day from uh, pretty cold in the evening and nighttime to... Relatively warm in the daytime. We're at about uh, mid 60s for the highs, and usually in the mid teens for the lows. It's been really dry.
2: Is that good for? What's that good for? Is that good for fruit because they don't have much pestiness?
3: Well, the the dry helps and the cold, yeah, both. Um, The issue we have with tree fruits here is that we have uh, unpredictable late spring frost that often uh frees all the blossoms off.
2: So um you live in you live in Nevada and you basically do a lot of things with everyone in Nevada. Um almost everything there is to do in Nevada you're doing it. Um
3: t- I don't know if that's <laughs> exactly
2: right. <laughs> Hi Neil. Hi, Severin. Um, what um what is what is the what is the unique opportunity that's presented by the ecosystem in which you live, and what are some of the primary ways that you have been engaging with that uh, opportunity in your work?
3: Okay, um, well, I think one of the the unique opportunities in our region is uh, that there has has not been a lot of um, permaculture specifically done in kind of the, the cold, high desert, uh, and in particular, a, a region that's both very dry and cold and also gets uh, no real precipitation during the rainy season. I mean, the, sorry, gets no real precipitation during the growing season, although we get very little during the rainy season also. <laughs> um, so the, really, a lot of our growing season that lines up with the natural cycles occurs on the shoulder seasons. And um, so there's some unique challenges figuring out how to uh, create ecosystemic agriculture that works both with the natural cycles of growing in our region and also um, capitalizes on the warm season uh, when we grow a lot of kind of traditional agricultural crops, you know, such as uh, tomatoes and peppers and melons and squash and those sorts of things. So that, that's a unique challenge, and um, you know I work with several different strategies to deal with that. And uh, also one of the um, considerations there is to look at things that uh, can convert the plant growth during our natural um, growing cycles to something that's a, a resource for humans, and that often leads to animal systems and grazing. And so that's something where I'm working... Uh, Collaboratively with with some other people to try and improve my skills in that range and offer that to people as well.
2: Well, and the thing that that um, has been made much clearer to me about um, the grazing side of things, since talking to a lot of these Scottish crofters, is that the it's all it's an all native ecosystem that you're managing, and so. It's, you know, permaculture, we often think about concocting this ecology that serves human needs. Um, but in fact, in a, in a, in a grazing or rangeland situation, it's, it's all a native ecosystem. Although it's probably arranged to our needs somewhat by the cows. They probably distort it to their needs a little bit over time. In fact, definitely. Tell us yeah, about your yeah. home operation and, and then what takes you out into the field. What's
3: a typical morning like for Neil Bertrando? Um, well, there's not necessarily a, a typical morning. <clears throat> my my work as a consultant and, and designer and educator often takes me to other locations. Um, so a lot of times a typical morning would be something where I'm <clears throat> coordinating with people and scheduling and getting ready to, to travel or doing uh, research um, for sites Specific to either doing a, a consult or a design for a client or for uh, putting together a context-appropriate educational package. Uh, or if, if I'm actually in Reno, often um, I'll be managing my, my home site. Uh, so we have a, a small 1.3-acre homestead that I live at with my wife, and uh, we have right now just uh, a suite of domestic animals uh, that, you know, require daily uh, management. We have a couple of horses, so every day uh, a morning would be taking care of all the animals, and then managing our, our hoop house. Uh, we built, as far as I know, the first um, Elliot Coleman-style mobile hoop house in northern Nevada, and so, um, you know, managing the, the crops in there uh, and removing the row cover and checking the water levels and doing harvest, and then, uh, Checking in with any sorts of uh, potential design clients or things like that would usually follow that up. And then uh, I would also look at, um, during the winter time, projects like planning, plant orders, seed orders, um, any sort of construction that needs to be done for processing equipment or things like that, um, and getting ready for the growing season at this time of year.
2: So in that sense, you kind of have adapted your own Practice your own professional life to the ecosystem that you have your own little nook, but then you range widely to gather from the from the sparse vegetation and contribute to its vitality.
3: Yeah, yeah, correct. I mean, I I try to you know practice what I preach as much as possible, and also I feel like that gives me a more um, experiential perspective to come from when i'm I'm working with clients on a, a farm landscape
2: um so yeah. how do you prepare yourself um you know this is a, a question a lot of people are having is wow, I would love to have the dreamy lifestyle of going out in the world and helping people start farms and doing you know wonderful landscape um landscape work and key line work and Thinking on a basin scale and doing, you know, doing work that has a significant uh, geographic outcome. And so then the question becomes: Well, how do you prepare yourself to be able to do that kind of work um, in your in kind of skills acquisition trajectory? Where did you start, um, well,
3: I actually I started by whooping, or even before that, volunteering at a the Gorilla Garden at Pomona College just to get some hands-on activity, and uh, that's where I met you. And I followed that up with woofing and, and traveling working with people on farms just to get, again, some hands-on experience with agriculture and permaculture. And I've continued to kind of both volunteer and pay for educational pathways. Um, so I, I end up uh, taking a lot of courses every year as many as possible, usually uh, three or four significant ones that are along my preferred lines of study, and then also going to um, conferences or uh, convergences and stuff like that and meeting people and talking and trying to continue um, building my networks, which I find has then led itself into uh, relationships with clients and stuff after having discussions and conversations about some of their challenges and some different um, perspectives at approaching those and improving their financial or ecological situation on their sites. So that's, that's kind of how I've approached it, is just continuing to um, follow up on both any sort of hands on learning experience and signing up consistently for workshops and uh, conferences to meet people.
2: But you also and, uh, got like some master's degrees in there, didn't you?
3: Yes, yeah, I did actually. Um, I had a period in my life where I wasn't uh, really being productive along the, the tra- trajectory that I wanted to, to follow in my career path and uh, found that doing a return to higher education really helped me to, to become more resonant with that and see what other options were and, and network with people. And I did an environmental science master's degree focused on water quality and how uh, the urban corridor affects water quality, specifically in, in rivers, and uh, that ended up leading me to doing um, field surveys for invasive weeds and, and things like that along the river corridor, working with the Conservation Corps and uh, a local institute called Great Basin Institute, um, who I uh, took some environmental survey classes with in college and in graduate school, and then. Uh, they hired me on to continue doing surveys and and then even some restoration work
2: it's all it's um it's all very fluid when you look at it in hindsight, but getting like stepping from one stone to the next it seems uh often requires a pretty strong kind of personal practice. You're staying more resonant with your path. I feel like that's res- probably resonate with a lot of folks who are trying to figure out what
3: their next little step is going to be. Yeah, and I mean, for me, what really helped was to try and clearly define where I wanted to go. And then, uh, you know, from there, I could look at different opportunities and assess if, if they were something that would take me in that direction. And a lot of times it's just being ready to, you know, say yes to an opportunity that comes along and... Then the other side is to you know try and create a niche or an opportunity um, that will help you get where you're going. So, yeah. an example well, of, of of that second well, side would be um, like the the hoop house that that we built at our house. Uh, we actually partnered with a local nonprofit to to fund that, and uh, a couple of people that had uh, taken a permaculture design course with me had mentioned that they were really interested in starting a butterfly house and their their masters students and uh, graduate students in ecology and they study native butterflies and that was one of the things that they wanted to do and uh, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to look at um, how we can combine honoring native ecosystems with uh, local agriculture and so I went and talked to them, they'd mentioned that they'd wanted to do it and I wanted to build a a hoop house at my site, and so we agreed that we would um, do kind of a a joint uh, crowdfunding and uh, raise the money to build the hoop house, which doubles as a butterfly house. So in the summer, it's uh, ecotourism and eco-literacy opportunity, as well as uh, agricultural production, and in the winter, it focuses on just uh, food production.
2: Wow yeah this it, um that's one of the things that's so so good at the Sierra Club conference is this understanding that there's way more Sierra club members than there are ranchers, so if we want to get a lot of stuff done, it can help to to be on the same team
3: <laughs> definitely, and I'm really excited for the opportunity to you know bring children out to an- experiential environment that's really colorful and live and honors the native ecosystems but then also um puts them you know, face-to-face with food production and a, a way to do it that's not um, monoculture and that's um, honoring the, the local organisms as well as, uh, you know, the immigrant plants and, and animals that help us, uh, you know, with our, our daily nutrition.
2: And understanding those as, as flowing into each other as opposed to being, I don't know, I'm, I'm here in Maine traveling around and in, in central Maine and just seeing the really profound settled quality of small farm landscape where the forests are being managed and the land is being managed but it's a very low impact low input and low impact um, production and some people would say oh well this is not a highly productive export oriented efficient you know market oriented Economic driver, agricultural system, um, which is all true, but in fact, um, the settlement pattern is really authentic to the land and um, really compatible with what nature wants to do here anyway. Anyway, I'm getting all, all right. poetic on you. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> well, I think that that's that's part of what um, really we're looking for in the future is to you know re almost re-romanticize our relationships with the land so that it becomes very rich. And also to um, examine some of these low input, low output types of systems and see if they match our resource production needs and hopefully at the same time improve our um, visions of our quality of life and our ability to, you know, really engage more thoroughly in our relationships with each other and with the landscape um, rather than focusing just on, on production and the financial capital aspects of things, you know, we can honor the, the social and natural capital that um, goes along with some of these um, low-input, low-output systems or medium-input, medium-output systems rather than something like modern agribusiness, which focuses on high-input, high-output, um, you know, quantity rather than quality type of scenario.
2: What? Yeah, we, we could have a world where you say, um, "I don't care how much you have in your pocket. All I love about you is your love handles." <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, I think that this is a this is a big pro- project and program of the agrarian way. Is as you're meant, as you're saying, find the richness, find the richness in the in the life way. Um, but in terms of finding the richness in the life way, in this in this economy that we live in now, and in you know in this weird world that you're or you're a part of in kind of managing and contracting and and um implementing programs and educational workshops, and really like inventing a whole kind of um shadow economy of of education and action in alternative agriculture um again, I wanna focus on some tips for for new newbies. How you how you deal with kind of client relations and um transact the transactions that happen within the community and making your living in a, in the kind of a very small and a small community context and in that state you know you're, as I say you're kind of connected to almost everything um, how maybe your integrity plays into that how flexibility or reciprocity plays into that I don't really know what you're going to say but I think it's going to be good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I mean, Reno is not a, a really small community. It, it's the, the agricultural community around this area is, is relatively small um, because Nevada is such a dry state. We don't have a lot of agricultural production, and, and small farmers in general um, tend, tend to group together and know each other at, at where we are. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it ends up being... Um, Showing up to events and being, you know, conversant and positive, and also being being realistic about the potential of you know, farming here. Um, I, th- I feel like in general permaculture um, pushes and attracts pushes people towards the kind of idealism side and attracts people like that. Um, at least as, as a first kind of wave, and as you get deeper into it and practice it more, it's tempered by Um, And so that's been, you know, something that I think many people probably experience with with a permaculture pathway is, you know, working towards meeting farmers and and having a lot of people say, oh, I've heard of that, but, you know, that just doesn't work. Um, And so one of the things that that I try to do is just um, listen as much as possible to what other people have to say and their experiences, especially – Still being in my youth to a degree, um, as far as you know the farmer spectrum goes, at least, and that's been really re- rewarding. Also, um, only going where I'm asked, you know, rather than trying to um, to push something on onto people. Um, so both of those are kind of um, Passive approaches, in, in some ways. I mean, you can actively listen and actively um, put yourself out there, but also um, really just focus on the opportunities and the, the positive sides of things, and and the reality of, of what's around. Um, and then volunteering. Uh, I've, I've done a, a lot of volunteering uh, with local groups, uh, local nonprofits, um, and you know local small farmers and things like that to get uh, just to get to know to people and to help build community, again, because that's the kind of um, to try and build the resource base that that will push us towards that local food system that really is resilient, which is part of my larger goal. So really just getting to know people, building on those relationships and being you know being as, as honest and, and truthful and, and generous as possible.
2: Yeah, it's I. It's funny. It, it's like I'm a little awkward because I feel like we almost lack the the language to talk about that um, deep context of everybody's kind of reputations and their lands and the and their the place that they're coming from and the skills that they have and how and how either work gets done over time and who does it and how they get it done and that all of that as you're saying, also turns into this, you know, really this richness, but you kind of have to really tune into it um, and manage and mm-hmm. manage for it. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, right, I mean, it's just like um, particularly in the desert, you know, you, you need to be able to, to listen to the land <clears throat> and respond to it, to opportunity when it arises, because it's very punctuated in time often, and I feel like that same skill set can be applied to uh, working with a, a local community and developing a local food system. Is that you know being aware of what's going on and 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 listening, kind of keeping your finger on the pulse, to be able to uh, kind of optimize opportunities as they arise, is an important thing to to be aware of.
2: So we have a, we have two minutes left, and I want to make sure that if that if there's something burning on the tip of your scheduling event announcement, um, super exciting thing in your world that you want to announce. I have some exciting announcements announcements announcement for the end. Um, any upcoming courses or challenges that you see in your immediate ecosystem that you want people to know about?
3: Uh, you you bet yeah. Um... Well, we're really honored to have Craig Sponholtz coming up to teach a a water harvesting course for two days uh, here in Reno. Um, I'm partnering with a nonprofit, Urban Roots, and they work locally. They just started a a Farm Corps program as a branch of AmeriCorps training young farmers, and so we're running a a PDC through that, and Craig's teaching the water harvesting portion. That'll be February 8th and 9th here in Reno, a two-day weekend course, and then... um, We'll have a presence at the Nevada Small Farm Conference, which is February 20th through 22nd, which is a, a really great conference here in Reno, Nevada um, for local small farmers. And then I'll be traveling down to uh, San Diego to the Permaculture Voices Conference on March 13th through 16th, um, which is a, a big national conference, which I'm really excited about. I think it's the, the first of its kind here in the in the U.S. Um, and a lot of big names will be there. So that's really exciting, and we'll have a a permaculture design course, uh, a permaculture research institute permaculture design course following that at a PRI Tipuana farm in San Marcos, which is just north of San Diego. And uh, that, as far as I know, is the the first um, permaculture research institute site in the United States. So that's exciting, too,
2: that's coming up. Yeah, and also in the ecosystem that it is with all those amazing tropical fruits, subtropical fruits.
3: Yeah, oh, it yeah it's, it, it's a fantastic edge where the you can grow everything from kind of the temperate fruit range all the way down through, you know, mangoes and bananas when you find the right microclimates and stuff. So it's a, it's a really rich food-producing region with potential if you can get the water.
1: All
2: right, so this is all in the permaculture calendar, and you can find all the dates. Craig Sponholz is an um, amazing master of of water slowing. And what's the organiza- What's the web place where people can go?
3: It's Urban Roots, U R G C dot org, urban roots, garden, classrooms, dot org, and there's an agroecology and permaculture program there to, to find those courses. Um, we'll have Owen Hablitzel teaching. The uh, grazing planning portion of that course in April, also. So we're really excited to be bringing in, um, you know, professionals from around the country to to help us keep a high quality um, of the course content. Eric Tonesmeyer also taught as part of this course.
2: Yeah, you guys are like the um, next generation, like Darren Darty, like um, just like permaculture rock stars, just roaming around in your tour buses. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, you know, I think we all really have the same goal, which is to um create a positive impact on the land and within local communities. So it's really important that you know any of the the kind of nomadic teachers and and permaculture workers are connected with people that are rooted deeply in the landscape because that's what really makes the the difference in the long term is the work being done on the land that's managed and maintained by people that are rooted there.
2: Yeah, I just came across, um, my friend Amy sent me a link for a union. Oh, no, it wasn't Amy, it was Kevin. Sent me a link um, of a cultural workers union, cultural workers union from the 1880s. I thought, oh, that's nice, cultural workers, that's what we are. Okay, anyway, right I think I think people know how to find you. I will save my announcements until the next time. Um, if you happen to be in Maine tonight, I'm giving a talk tonight in the Belfast. Library for the Camden Conference on six years or seven years now of Greenhorn. And then on Thursday at Halcyon Grange in Blue Hill, Maine, about our new community history project, which is called Grange Future um, an examination of Grange Revival um, in the U.S. You can check out more on the Greenhorn's blog for details. Thank you, Neil.
3: Thank you, Severin. It's been great.
2: I send you lots of love.
3: And and vice versa, across (laughs) the North American continent. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at infoheritageradionetwork.org. At Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.